Fantastic. All right. Hey, 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 good afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, welcome to another episode of Just Two Dads. Uh, thank you for uh, for watching and listening and uh, catching us wherever you're catching us. I'm Brian Altunian. I'm one of the co-hosts and one of the dads. Uh, with me, as always, my partner in Thrive, Mr. Sean Francis, and uh, behind the scenes in the control room. <laughs> make it seem like we're really in a studio. In the control room is Sean Hall from Hawaii, uh, managing our... Uh, last week, I said something like, hey, you know, earlier when we were backstage, well, this platform that we use, right, it, it actually it actually says, you know, you're backstage until you are live. Yeah, we have a virtual, virtual backstage, so we're not, we're not altogether crazy. Partially, <laughs> but not, all, not altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Well, I am, I'm excited for today's show. I, I know I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I say this every week. Oh, I'm so excited about today's show. Um, but that's because I, I really do love this platform um, that we have and, and, the, and the conversations that we um, the conversations that we bring up as, a, as my phone is now starting to blow up here for, for some reason. Um, <laughs> our focus is on the area of supporting families with, with special needs issues, um, but we have, we have found that these conversations transcend to families and other communities as well. So I'm excited about what we're gonna be talking about today. It is just two dads today as we're ringing in 2021 and uh, kick off new year with uh, a great subject that's near and dear to our hearts. And, and after a, a crazy year of the pandemic, I think a lot of folks are, are concerned about their money, their income, their, you know, sort of if they can go back to work, how they're going to work. And so today's conversation is going to be, is going to be really fun. So looking forward to that and wearing, uh, for those who can see us on the, on screen, wearing my royalty uh, color of purple. And uh, Sean is wearing a sort of a interesting color of green. Um, so let's just go with that. So just for this, if you can't see us and you can just visualize, I'm in purple and Sean is in some form of green. And we're going to be talking about money and income. And uh, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, and I'll say just for everybody who signs on and watches us live, uh, we, we really, we love you. Uh, we're blessed. We're honored to be able to, to do this and have this conversation with you all and get feedback and input. And your friend, Robert Moorhead, who's become my friend and uh, mm -hmm. has welcomed me into the family down at, uh, in the Virgin Islands. For those who, who uh, are, are new to this, uh, to this podcast, we are now uh, airing on every Monday afternoon on WSTX AM radio uh, down in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And a lot of that is um, thanks to Robert Moorhead's support of our show and, uh, and to others. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, again, we're excited to be doing this, and we have a lineup of, of people who are going to be on this show with us over the next several weeks and months that are just going to be phenomenal, phenomenal folks. So before we get into today's topic, I just want to say hello, Sean. I love you, buddy. I'm so glad to be doing this journey with you, and man, my life has changed since that first day I met you now almost <laughs> six years ago and in ways that I never thought was you know was possible, so honored to be doing yeah. this with you. Same here. Same here. Thank you so very much. And, um, you know, we never know what, what, what fate has in store for us. And um, sometimes we, we think that the um, great responses and, um, and, uh, and, and effects of our um, destiny and crossing paths with, with people will happen right away. One thing, time goes by so very fast. And I have to apologize in advance. I'm going to be a little all over the place, sure. which says a lot because I usually am anyway. Um, but it seems like lately there's so many departures from this planet that are taking place, not all related to COVID, but especially in the last week, week and a half, two weeks, just left and right. Um, yeah. People that are famous, people that are uh, loved ones, just a lot. And it reminds me and takes me back to what, we do and the winding down of the year and the beginning of a new as well which is our time on this planet and just making sure that we do everything we can to contribute to the time and space of other people uh, which allows um, us to jump right into today's topic which is um, special needs and and income and you and i talked about this and we have over time and we have to face several facts 2020 has changed so many things and it's interesting the way uh, we get used to things very quickly. Um, 
we're more capable of adapting to change than we might realize. At the same time, we're resistant uh, to it. And here's how 2020 is an example of that. In the last year, we've gotten used to things that now seem very normal, that less people complain about, that 12 months ago would seem insane. And when you really stop and think about the stuff that we're used to, like, you know, we exchange gifts with family members um, that don't live under our roof. And we did like a a drug deal drop off like you would in a movie. And I was in the middle of it with a mask on going. <laughs> now, would you see how weird this is? So among the other things that it's that it's changed is the way the way that we not so much the way we spend money. It's just change the because we, we were spending money electronically, you know, versus cash um, for quite some time, but now twice as much, yeah. um, you know, drivers for Amazon are probably 50 times more busy. So not so much the way in which we spend it, but how much, but what has definitely changed is the manner in which we earn it. If those of us that still do are fortunate enough uh, to do so. And because going back to my earlier statement about being resistant to change, um, some people and some companies have not been able to adapt. And as a result, people have lost income, jobs have been laid off, uh, people have been laid off, uh, industries have been affected. But then there's some people that have been able to pivot. And when you are raising a child um, or have a loved one with special needs, again, we talk about the needs not being special. Everyone has the same needs, but the definition of special needs by catastrophic injury, diagnosis, um, you know, a delay in development, whatever the case might be, the needs aren't necessarily special. The quantity of those needs is what becomes special. So as a result, you know, some of us have gotten very resourceful in terms of um, how we provide services and are able to turn that into income. Other people, depending upon their mindset, their experience, or the severity of a diagnosis or injury that a loved one uh, has, are having a hard time doing that. And, um, you know, we're not here to judge anybody. For some of us, we just need to turn our focus just a little bit, have a little bit of a paradigm uh, shift and realize that we are in a position to make this a great opportunity for ourselves. For other people, there are real challenges to face. But either way, it's a very interesting time. And those are the things that we're going to talk about here uh, today. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a, I think it's a great topic. And, you know, it's funny. You're right. There's there's a difference in the way that we look at the world. I used to I used to make a joke about it. You know, before if you saw a bunch of folks, you know, starting to put masks on before going into a bank, you would think, uh oh, something bad is going to go down. You know, and now mm -hmm. if you see a group of people walk in without a mask, you think, oh no, something bad is going to go down, right? <laughs> because if you're not wearing a mask, you're in a public place. All of a sudden, you know, you're next thing you know, you're on a you're a viral sensation on social media because you're, you know, you're getting hounded about wearing a mask. But you know, it's now become it's now become the thing. And so as we adjust to this to this you know this new way of being and this new really it's created an awareness uh, on a, a number of things. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how certain industries have been able to to make the adjustment while others, others haven't, you know, I'm, I'm amazed to see how some companies were in the, um, oh, we're in like the, I, I know one company in particular that was doing uh, CBD products and then turned into a hand sanitizer manufacturer. Um, right. You know, right. Um, all of these car manufacturers who have become now delivery van manufacturers. And, you know, to your point, if, if you can pivot, Great, and it and it really just requires a shift in mindset and an opening up, like thinking a little outside the box and opening up the thought process for individuals who have been relying on a nine to five job, relying on work as we've defined it in you know in the past. Um, that that thinking outside the box is required as well, right? We've got to have people. Uh, people have to be able to make adjustments, or they're you know, this is an opportunity to take full charge ahead, or or in a way be a little bit left behind, right? We. Mm -hmm generally call this separation season in our business, right? The, the difference between folks who make a holiday a hollow month and uh, those who just know that they've got to get at it because they've got a family to support and, and uh, they've got to you know, bring home the bacon. So um, for us uh, in the business that we're in, I think we have seen an explosion of opportunity. So we'll talk, let's talk about that a little bit too. And um, only because we've been doing 
Zoom and, and, and distance communication about the kinds of things that, that we do in our company um, for a long time. The, we kind of look at this pandemic oppor opportunity as a, the rest of the world catching up to what we, what we do. And we've been able to make adjustments on the fly. And it goes to the first thing that you had mentioned, which was we've had a lot of folks who have been, who've gotten sick and uh, for certain strains of this virus, um, that sickness is, while it may initially go away, it's going to have a long haul effect. Um, in some cases, I I get surprised when I see how folks of a young age are uh, are passing away from complications due to COVID. Um, there's a congressman in Missouri who's 41 years old who got elected on you know being sworn in for the new Congress and passed away from complications complications of COVID. 41 years old and. It's, it's crazy. Wow. So, you know, our, our perspective in our business is to is to look at how do we take care of families? You know, how do we make sure that families are taking care of um, things like life insurance and long term care insurance, disability insurance for those who, you know, who are who are stricken life insurance, obviously, for protection of the family, but other things, you know, getting out of debt and handling financial matters. So I think that's an area where everybody could use some help and some support. And I think the pandemic has shown that not enough people in our country and you know in the surrounding areas uh save enough money right? they're not they don't have an emergency fund set aside we'll talk mm -hmm. about that it's a, that's a pandemic in my opinion that's a that's a challenge right people don't save right. enough money for emergencies that's why the pandemic mm -hmm. was so painful for so many people they didn't have enough money set aside right right most definitely most definitely and and you know for those that you know may be curious let's talk about exactly we'll talk about several industries several opportunities um and needs that everyone has and maybe needs that special fam special needs families have in particular and where people that are um raising a uh, child with special needs or caring for a level with special needs might be able to uh, take advantage of an opportunity being of service to others. So the first thing we'll talk about is what we do and what we know. If anyone is familiar with how the financial services industry works, it generally works to, um, well, I'm going to say cater to, but the more accurate term is probably fight over the need um, to serve uh, the wealthy. And in, in, in those cases, the way the industry generally works, service is a loosely used term anyway, because you have an environment where one is usually captive, meaning they represent the company that they work for. They have products from that company only. They charge a quota. They usually won't sit down with anyone that doesn't have at least $250,000 liquid, in some cases, maybe even more. And then at that point, an agent or advisor sits down with a business owner or family, and at some point they realize that, that those people need uh, a size eight shoe, financially speaking, but what they have is a five, and with the quarter to meet, even if they have the highest level of character and integrity, they're faced with a difficult question. Do I look out for the family sitting in front of me or the one that I have at home so that I can keep my job and put food on the table? And the way that we operate removes right. those questions because we're not captive. We have access to hundreds of different providers, each who know that they're not the only game in town. So we're able to help people, families, individuals, and huge corporations so anyone from the, the ultra wealthy middle class to you know, below that with things like um, life insurance, the right type and the right amount, um, retirement, investments, debt elimination, different areas of debt, whether we're talking about credit card debt, um, um, student loans or tax debt, and then estate planning as well. All at one place where there isn't a quarter to meet, and what you're doing is putting people before profits, therefore the profits take care of themselves. So as we speak to that, and we host the events that you know that we do, providing those things for people. And the other area, of course, where we help people is you know providing an opportunity to learn how to provide other people with that. So we teach people to fish, but also put them in a position to help other people do the same thing. And so there's the greatest need for all of those things right now. People are concerned about. Um, their own mortality, their concern about um, their um, their job security, uh, whether or not that exists. So we have found ourselves in the middle of growth that is up at the minimum of 50%, uh, and that's being very conservative, and we're not able to keep up with that need. That being said, not everyone has been that blessed. And as you mentioned, a year at least before um, COVID hit, we were doing some of our events and some of our appointments with clients um, uh, via Zoom. 
And so it was a very easy transition to begin to do that on a full-time basis. And it's easy to take that for granted um, and not be, and not have a balance between being, um, having empathy for other people's position. And at the same time, just trying to shed light on what it is that, um, that, uh, that, that they may need. And at the same time, we've had some people on, which we will again, as individuals, as well as a panel uh, of people that are per, you know, started businesses for themselves, even prior to the pandemic, providing services in the area of, um, of uh, education, law, um, and various areas that uh, that uh, that families need. Yeah, I, I I think listen, and and for anybody who's listening us listening to us for the first time or catching our show for the first time, we're, we we made it uh, you know a specific condition of what we do to to not outwardly pitch our services. So please don't take it that way. We just you know as an example of one of the services that we provide to our special needs families. We want to make sure that the conversation around money and finance and income is is talked about because that's a it's a subject that's generally fairly taboo. Um, people don't openly talk about money. They don't, uh, you know, unless they're showing off, you know, or they're trying to press somebody. Discussion right. around money is often a difficult conversation to folk, for folks to have. Um, and the stress and the pressure of day-to-day -day activities and, um, you know, often prevent people from being, uh, honest and true with themselves and even their families and, and friends with what the financial situation is. Our goal, our focus is to educate people on, on just ways that money work, the, the ways that money, yeah, the ways that money works. No, the ways that, is that, yeah, now I'm the way, catching myself, right? The ways, the ways that in money, which money anyways, works. The way money works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and to your point, you know, a couple of things. So there's some fascinating. I think there's some fascinating uh, uh, bits of information around around money, just in general, that I think people should know. Like, you know, the amount of of debt in the United States is so significant. And you know, it, it, one of the things that's been discussed in you know in in government now is you know the debt and it's out of control and the deficit. And people don't know the difference between the debt and the deficit. And, you know, all of these things, we, 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 it seems like we're printing money for the stimulus packages that are often, you know, fought over and people, where does that money come from? And, you know, generally it comes from taxes. But, but one of those things that I, I if, it's, if it's a cool to share is, you know, when I think mm -hmm. about how much we have in, in this country, you know, there's $1.6 trillion in student loan debt and 1.3 or 1.4 trillion in credit card debt. And I often ask people when I'm having the conversation if they really realize how much a trillion dollars is. And it's kind mm -hmm. of a concept. So, so you know, I always tell people, like, think about it. Like, if you could, you know, if you had an unlimited, you know, paycheck, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry bank account, and you could spend a million dollars a day, how long do you think you could comfortably spend a million dollars or easily spend a million dollars a day? And it's funny to hear, it, it depends on people's ages, right? Young folks are like, oh, I can spend a million dollars a day for the next, you know, 50 years. Um, older folks were like, yeah, I can spend it for a little bit and then maybe give it away to charity. But it would be a hard time to spend a million dollars a day. And then I, I right. generally ask people, how how long does it, how long would it take you, do you think, to spend a million dollars a day to get to $1 trillion? And you know the answer to that question, right? Sean, we've talked about this before. It's, mm -hmm. right? It's, I'll, I'll answer it though. It's <laughs> 2,000. <laughs> 2,740 years spending a million dollars a day to get to $1 trillion. It would take an individual 2,740 years to get to a trillion dollars. And we have 1.6 trillion in student loan debt and 1.3 or 1.4 trillion in credit card debt. And that's not the scary number. That is scary as it is, right? That's insane right. if you think about that. But the real, the real chill for folks to understand that our tax rules in the United States and surrounding territories are going to change significantly in the coming years, because at the moment there's $123 trillion in unfunded obligations in the United States, meaning those are obligations that have been promised to people, promised to people who, who are alive and are expecting that money, and we don't have the funds for them. That That's in the form of Social Security, Medicare, military uh, benefits and pensions, and those types of things where people 
we don't have the money for it today to pay those obligations. So right. how does the government raise their money, right? They have to raise taxes. They have to, and, and by the way, that this, you know, outgoing administration, you know, just, uh, you know, reduced taxes for, you know, on the wealthy. And, um, and there's a lot of discussion about that, you know, who's it's on whose back is the unfunded obligation tax, you know, impact going to be felt. You know, it's going to mm -hmm. be felt on the average American family who has a typical nine to five job. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so absolutely. And so as we think about that and going back to work in the new pandemic, you know, post pandemic world. And, you know, do you want to go back to work in, a, in an office that may or may not have protections for you as an employee or for your customers? Do you want to go back to a job where you're answering, you know, fulfilling somebody else's dream or answering to somebody to somebody else? Um, and and bear the burden of that tax hit on your paycheck, or do you want to look at other ways of of earning an income? And there are so many people who have made that pivot, who have made the shift, who have looked at creating additional streams of revenue. And to your point, Sean, you know things like you know lawyers and um, you know and, and and obviously the service providers that 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 exist have made it you know have made a shift. There's always going to be manufacturing and products, but services is really an area where you know people can step in and and forge a new path for themselves and work for themselves much isn't it different don't you i mean i'm just gonna ask you like don't you think it's different if you were working 40 or 50 hours in your own business versus 40 to 50 hours working for somebody else the whole thing is different right it's completely different it's a different mindset and that's where where we talk about you're mentioning dreams earlier that's the that's where it, the whole thing intersects and, and, and ties in because I've, I've heard um, it said that Mark Cuban, the famous billionaire uh, shark on Shark Tank, I almost had a Freudian slip. I almost said fellow shark. I have no idea why. <laughs> and I don't have a desire to be on that show. <laughs> but but uh, I think you're talking about people, shark, people that I, I, I think that, you know, that's people. Those are people that are looking to utilize commerce service and goods to make the world a better place. So maybe that's the commonality. I don't know. But at any rate, you know, um, he's known as that, um, you know, owner of the Dallas Mavericks NBA team. And supposedly he said that he would rather work 50 hours a week for himself at, at an annual income of $50,000 a year than as opposed to working for someone else, regardless of the hours, for a million dollars a year. And mm. so there really is something different to that because the other thing that happens as one who's caring for someone with special needs is your dreams you know uh the great langston hughes has a a, a legendary poem called a dream deferred and you know what's as important as a dream being deferred is the reason why sometimes there are very noble reasons for that um I now, I now put my aspirations on hold because my child or whoever might be needs me first and foremost. I have to stand guard and I need to take care of that responsibility. I have to do that. That is huge. And what can get lost along the way if someone has been doing that for so long is any sliver of hope, even the slightest bit that they may be able to, you know, incorporate the two, meaning that, um, if there's an opportunity where you have a dream or a goal that can be tied into the service that you provide and allows you to um, make sure that there is something, some semblance of stability for that loved one when you depart, you know, there's a measurable value in that. And, you know, um, our business provides that um, quite naturally um, our income and business ownership opportunity does as well but for some people you know like these people we know that uh you know are are utilizing skills and talents on a daily basis specifically for their loved one and they may be able to take those things and turn them into um to uh to income whether you're looking at something that fits the definition of a quote-unquote side gig or a full-on business. You and I were talking about the fact that, and that my CPA, I was telling you that he posted on social media that the number of, and correct me, correct me on the term because I'm going to butcher it completely. Um, what you, what you apply for in order to get um, a business number with the IRS? What is that? Yeah, an EIN, an EIN number, an employee, identification. EIN, employee identification number. Yeah. Yes. So the number of 
applications for those that the IRS has seen over the last year has gone up considerably. You and I talked about that. You did a training for our associates on that. But then again, I happen to see my own CPA just post on his own personal social media page that he has personally received twice as many of them uh, as usual. What that means is there's a lot of people out there who are um, stepping outside the box and reinventing themselves. And it's it, it, it's crucial to do that now because we are not going back to the normal that we were before. I don't care if if it goes, if they get a stranglehold on COVID-19 tomorrow and it goes away. Yeah. What, what has taken place is that industries and businesses have found ways to make more money on less overhead, having employees at home, as well as people doing that for themselves. So as many of us as possible need to get in on the game and make sure that we're part of that change that's coming in uh, in, in 2021. For for sure. I, I think that, that if you if you want to boil it down to some, some really a, a very simplistic perspective, the, mm-hmm. the government in the United States through its tax code encourages certain performance. So <laughs> for those that are anti, you know, this is the thing like, oh my gosh, Animal Farm and, you know, all of that, you know, that, you know, conspiracy theories and whatnot. Um, but, you know, think about this, another crazy right now, but think about this. When you get a tax deduction, you get a tax deduction when you get married, when you get a tax deduction when you have children, you get a tax mm-hmm. deduction when you buy a house. So those are three things that, that the government wants you to do, encourages you to do through the tax code by giving you a tax break for doing those three things. The fourth thing is owning your own business. If you're, you know, if you're an independent contractor and you're, or you own your own business, that's another thing where you have an opportunity to write off, to write off, a, a, you know, a lot of taxes. Number five is a charity, right? Give right. to community, give back, develop mm-hmm. a, a, a 501c3 organization, a nonprofit that, that contributes. So, you know, the reality is that the government tells you, you know, encourages people to take certain action. Isn't that interesting? Because the government doesn't really say to you, go get a job. And yet all of our all of our other institutions team, team, seem to kind of gear us up to, you know, become good workers, um, you know, in the workforce. And not, we need folks to, you know, we need folks to obviously to, to, to have certain jobs. We, we rely on on people working in, in 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 certain jobs. But the reality is for those who want to make a change in this new year and looking at the post pandemic world, the idea of having your own business or starting your own business. Um, you know, we've had guests on the show uh, from uh, Georgiana, um, you know, who's our, our the special needs attorney, who is an advocate for people on the you know, special needs, Junko Kelman, I'm sorry, I didn't say her last name, um, who, is a, who, is a, who is an attorney and has built a practice around helping special needs. Uh, Leila Luna, who we had on early on in our, in our podcast, who developed a foundation um, to help businesses create um, on awareness for their employees to serve the special needs community and, you know, have a special branding around serving the special needs community. Um, we've had obviously, um, Susanna, uh, who's really become a partner in our, in our, in our venture here, our village, um, who mm-hmm. has built a business around being a life coach for special needs families. And so there's a lot of things that, that, that the people that we have brought onto the show that we engage with in our, you know, in our village that have chosen those paths to create their own revenue stream, in some cases, an additional revenue stream, an income stream that allows them to both serve their community of clients, but also serve their own families as a caretaker for a child with, um, you know, with, uh, with special needs children and being able to have, um, have that, that flexibility and freedom. And as I'm seeing the comment, Robert saying, yeah, business ownership gives more freedom, right? We're not teaching that kind of independence. It's true. Um, we are, we, we, we're not, and haven't been, and I'm a product of that. I was, I grew up in, you know, corporate in corporate America, but that was by the way, after leaving my parents' businesses, my dad owned a grocery store and my mom was in real estate. And I was in both of those businesses, you know, business owner and entrepreneur. And yet I wanted to see the other side and I jumped into corporate America and there's no such thing as job security in corporate America, folks, no matter what level you're at. Um, so I've chosen this path and it's not an easy path, an entrepreneur, you know, somebody who ventures out on their own, as we talked about, it's not an easy path, but, but it's so rewarding in so many ways that a job can never, can never offer such as in the area of fulfillment. You and I talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I know I like I, say, I, we're long winded. You guys know that we sometimes, Sean, and I, we <laughs> want to talk, you know, we both want to say something good, but you know, so I apologize. I, 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 I monopolize no, the conversation there. But. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. Um, but sometimes we, we talk about, um, um, now that the, the, the word that I was actually going to say fulfillment has, has we're talking about fulfillment. Yeah. But what I was going to say specifically, <laughs> literally packed bag, made a reservation and jumped on my head and went on vacation. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about it. Ah, it was related to what you were saying. We were talking about, um, uh, we we're talking about that fulfillment, but with what you were saying earlier, there not being any security, you know, the further up the ladder you go, the greater uh, chance that you, you know, may, uh, you know, maybe let go in tough times because it costs the company the most to pay you because you're you're demanding the greatest salary, you know. And um, I would love to, I would love to say that that's, I, I would love to say that's true. Unfortunately, the reality though is the crazy thing is in all the corporations that I worked for where where layoffs were a thing. It was never the guys at the top that got laid off. It was always the folks at the bottom doing all the work. And so mm. you'd have a sales force or you'd have a workforce and then they would cut the workforce in half and the half that was remaining then had to do double the work for the same salary. Right? That was their answer to, you know, lopping off big chunks. In my opinion, if you if you laid off 10% of the executives, you you've covered your <laughs> your deficit in your corp in your company and you've got you got workers, right. you know, that can get the job done as opposed to managers. But no, I, you would think that the guys at the top, uh, the reality though is, is if it, if it's a, a, a board controlled company, executives never really have job security anyways. You know, it's, it, it is true because their performance is judged and the board has a fiduciary responsibility to the stakeholders. And so if the, if the executives aren't performing as the board uh, has, you know, promised to the shareholders or the stakeholders, they replace the guys at the top with somebody else. It's really just a widget. They don't reduce the salary. They don't take, right? They don't get any savings in any of that. But, but um, you know, those decisions, and that was one of the things that I found so, so disillusioning about corporate America, because I was never the guy at the top making the decisions. I was the guy in the middle management role that had to actually execute on the plans and term mm. literally execute. Like I had to literally lay people off and shut down divisions. And and I would shake my head as I got, I remember when I was at uh, one company in the entertainment industry, we had a massive layoff just after signing a 10-year lease on a three-story building, which we occupied all three floors. And we had laid everybody off like within the first year. And I thought that was such – like how do you not have that kind of foresight or forethought to know that right. that thing may be coming before signing a 10-year lease on a, on a building? It's crazy. Right. Crazy decision-making. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that, that's crazy. But it's interesting, and again – we're all the sum total of our experience. And I think it was so powerful for you to talk about, you know, growing up in a family business and going out and doing your own thing. Well, that was very much my experience. Um, you know, my grandfather um, came from uh, Cuba as a very young child and came to the U.S. Virgin Islands, came to St. Thomas, was orphaned, met my grandmother. At some point, she was orphaned as well. And they were the living embodiment of the skit on In Living Color. You know, when you would have the kid that had like one job and the father's response is, what kind of work do you do? And he would tell him what he did and he'd have a job. He's like, what? That's one thing. When I was your age, I was the cook, the dishwasher, and so on and so forth. And when I saw those skits living in Minneapolis at the time, it, I, I rolled. And I know that the Waynes that, did, you know, produced and created the show and starred on it grew up on the East Coast. They're from New York. And so they probably came across a lot of people from the Caribbean, but that was my experience completely. And that's funny, but, but it's funny, even though my, my grandparents, not only did they not make it to high, uh, not finish high school, they never made it to high school, but my grandfather had a, you know, started, yeah. you know, um, uh, the local transit on St. Thomas, which was huge as well as school busing and stuff like that. And it was, the company was named after his first name. His name was Manasseh Francis, which is a name out of the Bible, which I had never heard of before seen in much other places, you know? And so despite the fact did you that you see that Robert that, posted that, but before you said that word, no, I did not. But 
like before Mike, you posted that word, Robert just posted Manasa bus line. That's hilarious. That's yeah, right. That is that's awesome. right. You guys are so interesting. So they had that. Sorry. They Keep had going. a they had a pool they had a pool hall. They had a, uh, he had a Chrysler dealership. All these things, and he was the epitome of a self-made man. The home where my where, where my dad lives on St. Thomas today. Mm. The road that leads up to where he lives and everything. There was no road leading there, so my grandfather completely had vision to blast the road leading up to, you know, where they built their home on the whole nine yards, and they, and everything was based on giving back to the community. How many people can we empower? Now, because when my father went to college and then came back home to the Virgin Islands, we're talking about the 1960s, the thought process still then, and I don't know if it was because they worked so hard to the bone or what, was that you go to school. You get a good uh, education and uh, you get your four-year degree. Now, you're going to come back and maybe work in the family business or you're going to become a uh, doctor, lawyer, or, you know, something of prominence. That's what I grew up around, um, you know, in, mm. the, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, that yeah. process has completely changed because everything is like, so where'd you, where, where'd you go to school? What are you studying? And now the world has shifted a little bit. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit. It shifted drastically, and I've had to adjust completely, um, and for the better. Because I used to think something was wrong because I hadn't done the four years that everybody else around me did, which was bare, which was bare minimum. But now we're in, in the age of, you know, not just the quote unquote business owner where you're building something that's you know Fortune 500 or even a small business owner, but even the the um, the independent contractor. So there's people we know that are just by their nature um, mama bears and papa bears and caregivers you know you go through a diagnosis that a child has or a loved one or a catastrophic injury they're now in a wheelchair they're you know got some kind of limitation and you're providing for them you know what it's like to an extent for someone who's no new to that experience or that or that diagnosis what about the idea of you providing education service and preparation for people in that situation people that have um, what is referred to as an uh, IEP an individualized uh, education plan you know when a person goes into those things you know uh, goes into those things your child is diagnosed and they say okay now you're in school we're going to put you on an IEP and what what that means is they do a big study and they you know they they study what the child's capabilities are they put them in special education and then they simply present you with that and may or may not tell you that you don't have to necessarily sign it. And it can be very daunting and intimidating in a room full of administrators and teachers and things of that sort. And you don't necessarily know what to do. There's value that one can provide in preparing people for an IEP. Um, there's value that people can uh, provide in um, helping people with you know, other services, whether it's therapy or things like that. Now there's certification involved in there, but the bottom line is that there's a difference and a dollar to be made for people that are members of the special needs community that will allow them to change the normal that we go back to as this year, uh, this new year and beyond begins to take place. And there's a lot more, there's far more power in questions than there are statements, especially if the statement is, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And it, 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 there's power in more, more power in questions than there are in statements. And how you ask the question has everything to do with it. Because if you throw your hands up and you're like, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do?" There's not much. There's not much power in that question. But if you right. put your hand on your chin and use some vision and just think for a second, and then go, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do?" That's completely different. And I, I swear, if you do that, I know I'm saying this coming from a place where other people have greater challenges than we do, meaning, um, you know, as a family with regard to our son, Elijah, and the challenges right now we're going through the, the sleep deprivation because of uh, less melatonin produced by boys. And now we're on, you know, in your winter break and all that kind of stuff. And I know that our, if that's our greatest problem, that's small compared to other people. But I am saying that that approach is why we are sitting here today, why we do what we do, and yep. why this answer happened to fall into our laps. So for other people, regardless of what their situation is, I think there's something there to be found if you ask that question in the right way at the very least. And our hope is that, you know, today with today's show and going forward, that we can just shed some ounce of light and um, a, a bit of hope 
when people end up asking that question. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's what's happening now more than anything. The, what this pandemic has created is, is opportunity for people to ask insightful questions and ask questions about what the future is going to look like. I know Robert mm -hmm. posted the question about special needs children having an IEP. Yeah, those are uh, those individualized plans are are established by the um, by the school district, and uh, there's provision for the teachers and the counselors and advocates to get together and put a plan together for a child with special needs to make sure that the school is servicing those needs. And if the school can't service it, they make a recommendation for outside private resources to service the needs right. to provide the child with the most um, effective uh, support in education. Uh, the neurotypical child doesn't get an individualized uh, ed education plan. Although, oh, they could, it just isn't called that, right? They could go to a counselor and say, hey, this is my path, this is what I'd like to do. And how can you, how can you help me design the, design the, the education stream to get there, but um, right. we've got an answer there. So hopefully that answers that it's question. A, it, and it's a, it's a separate note because we're talking about business today, but I, actually I shouldn't say it's not a separate note. It's all connected. We're all, we're talking about prosperity and spiritual fulfillment. But the one thing that people should know also is that you don't have to sign the IEP right there on the spot. You can take it home, review it, look at it, and then sign it after the fact, provided that you're comfortable. And if you're not, you can have it amended and say, you know, I don't agree with this here. We should have this in place, this accommodation. I don't think that that is necessary. And it can be amended at that point in time. And then the other thing to know is that even once it is signed and then returned to the district, it can be amended after the fact as well. It can be amended at any time. Um, now that's here in the state of California. I don't know how that differs elsewhere, but again, more power in a question than a statement. And it's, it's one that one should ask if they're not sure. Yeah, it's pretty close to the same in other in other states. And the reason why it goes back to the district is that the district provides the financial resources to so to um, pay the supporting um, teachers, aides, uh, resources to provide the service if they can't be accommodated within the the school as it is. And so again, it it it, it really at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. But here's the mm -hmm. thing: to have an effective IEP, you have to either either know what you're doing to all those points that you just made. If you're gonna have an amendment, what can you ask for? How do you have, how do you make an amendment? How do you adhere to this? How do you make sure you get the things that you want? You either have to know, which means you have to do a ton of research or you get an advocate who can provide this support for you. And that's where, again, some of the folks that we have talked to have, have been in the conversation. Um, there are special needs advocates that know how the IEP system works and knows how to fight, know how to fight for you. So the point is this, this while we're talking about special needs IEPs, individualized education plans, it's really, it's, it's exactly in line with what we're talking about as far as establishing a career path or you know, a way to figure out what money is. Because either you can seek out those, those things that are of interest to you and you know, maybe you want to find a way to earn income or, or build your own business, or you bring a specialist or somebody who's got some expertise in that area to guide you and give you options. You know, the, the point you made about questions where people are like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Or, or being insightful in the thought process, what am I gonna do? It's almost like when you ask the question of what am I going to do, it's as if it's an endless, helpless, you know, uh, morass of options. Whereas if you can be insightful and go, what am I gonna do? It almost becomes a, uh, what am I, what, what option am I going to choose, right? What am I going mm -hmm. to do, you know, asked in a specific way is of the three or four paths I can go, which one am I going to choose? As opposed to somebody who sits helpless on the couch and looks up in the sky and says, what do I do now, right? There's a different way of, of approaching that. And so, you know, I know the work that we do and more importantly, the work that we do with the, with the partner uh, individuals and companies that we work with, they're there to provide options and we, are not pitchmen, we're not salesmen. We are people who provide education so that folks can make educated decisions about the paths that they're on so that they can narrow that broad scope of possibility into, into a, you know, a tangible and, and, um, and attainable you know, selection of a few things, all of which would make great sense and let the individual make that decision for themselves and choose which way they wanna go, all of which are gonna help them serve their needs. 
which goes back to the other thing I think that you were talking about before, which goes back to the idea of goals and dreams, right? And reestablishing goals and dreams and, and figuring out where we are as, you know, and, and by the way, as men, we have this, com <laughs> I don't know how many men sit around and actively want to do like a vision board at the end of the year, right? As they plan their, you know, men are like, no, we put a business plan together, you know, and, and we think that it's a, you know, it's a gender specific task to put together a vision board um, mm -hmm. with pictures and, and visuals. But, but, but the reality is it's all the same, right? To some degree, if you set a plan in place of what you want to accomplish and you can put the image in front of you, you know, it's almost as if the image calls you into action and calls you forth. Um, right. The idea of dreaming, right? That's all about, it's all about what's the world calling you to step up into and, you know, to, to, to take control. Some people have have some specific strengths, areas in their lives that they're, they're very good at certain things. I remember going to, no, sorry to divert here a second, but I remember no, going to graduation at, at, at UC Berkeley. Oh my God. I'm going to say how long ago. It was a long time ago. Robert made a comment about me not looking very gray. That's just because my hair seems to be a little bit wet today. But I will tell you, I'm old. Um, but uh, <laughs> I remember going to a graduation at UC Berkeley uh, for my former brother-in-law. And Tom Peters was the keynote speaker. And it was so impressionable on me. Tom Peters wrote the book In Search of Excellence, among many other books. Tom Peters did a lot of, of surveys of um of of businesses and what make businesses and in fact he wrote a book called you know oh gosh i can't remember let's screw up the title but what made a business great right not mm -hmm. a good business but what makes a good business great actually excellence in search of excellence was all about that but i'll never forget tom peters in his keynote speak speech to the graduates at uc berkeley his the, the comment that stuck out to me was he said listen if you if you're going to make a decision about the path that you're going to take your career path you want to highlight those strengths that you have. Like if you don't like people, don't go into management. <laughs> you know, it's kind of boils it down very simple, right? <laughs> if you love yeah. numbers, right, you're going to find a, a, a career path, you know, where you're spending time away from your family or you're focused on, you know, on an end game. Do it in an area that you have an affinity to or you're, you have a desire to accomplish and something that's going to light you up because you're spending so much time doing that. And I, I remember taking that and I, I used to mentor young, you know, young, young college students as they were looking at where they were going. And I used to say, you know, I may have mentioned this once before, but if you could put on a pair of glasses, you know, with the filter of how you want to see the world, how you want to step in the world, utilizing your strengths, then you want to look at the world from that perspective. You know, if you love sports, you don't have to be an athlete. You can work for a sports organization or a sports apparel company or a sports shoe manufacturer or a sports agency right be an agent for like there's so many things if you're a sports fanatic there are so many things that you can move into if you want to have that job if you want to be right. somebody who takes the you know takes the position where i want to be like being a sports agent an individual you know a sports agent is an awesome awesome path um i know people who love the entertainment industry and want to become entertainment attorneys and that was the thing that they did and stepped out on their own and have become amazing attorneys building a practice around the area that they love. So you're going to spend the time to do it to the point that um, Mark Cuban talked about, uh, you know, you want to spend your time in the area that you're passionate about and much rather spend 50 hours of, you know, 50 hours a week for yourself, making a lot less money than working for somebody else and making their dreams come true. Definitely. Definitely. And it's interesting, you know, Robert uh, posted a question earlier where he said, who has the better job, the guy making $250,000 or the guy signing the check? Well, everything is relative, you know, just like, you know, people will say, oh, so-and-so is rich. Okay, compared to what? Perspective is everything and perspective is truth. So to the guy that's making $500,000, uh, the guy that's making a million is rich. To the guy that's making 500,000, you know, um, he's seen as rich by the guy that's making 250. And so, the answer to that question, at least from my perspective, is who's got the better job? It depends on how you define the better job. For me personally, if the guy that's signing the check is providing a greater level of contribution to society, to the people that work for him, and they're empowered, right? Um, and he's adding the level of service he's providing to his family as well, then he may have the better job. It's, Especially if whatever he provides allows the guy that's making 250 to 
go get more through service and through giving should he aspire to do that if that's not the case then i don't know that he's making uh, that he's got the better job if the guy that's making 250 is you know has expenses that are considerably below that and has some control over his time when he's with his family it's predictable and it doesn't affect their quality of life he may have the best job in the world if that's the case especially if he doesn't desire more so perspective is everything and i think that one of the things that we're not clear on always is you know what is it that we really want anyway and that's something that's that's equally important too so the answer to that would dictate the answer to that question yeah listen i, I my feeling about it is i haven't been you know i've been the guy that's you know that's written the check and i've been the guy that's received the, you know the big check at the end of the day i still think that you know he who has the money wins um, because if you're making $250,000 a year and somebody else is signing your paycheck, at the end of the day, you're expected to, you know, be available to earn that $250,000, right? I know that when I was, when I was, you know, working at the executive level for, and, you know, within a corporation, um, there was no such thing as free time or my weekends or my evenings. My phone was on 24 seven. I was available all the time. That was the expectation. Yeah. So I worked for the guy who had the money and the guy who had the money dictated my life. Right. And so, 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 while, your, while, so your thought is the guy, your thought is then there is no offense or buts about it, which I, I see provided that he's, he's got some control over his own time. The guy that's writing the check is the one that is, is the one that's winning. Yeah. Yeah. Because that guy, that guy, that guy dictates. And by the way, I worked for a, I had a job in the entertainment industry with a narcissistic CEO. I realize how redundant that is. Um, and narcissistic <laughs> CEO, I think any CEO has some level of narcissism. And by the way, I was a CEO. And so I'm copying to that. There's some level of narcissism <laughs> that comes with that. Um, but this CEO that I worked for, there was, there was no reasoning um with that person because at the end of the day you know he holds up the pen and was like i write the checks it's my call i make the decision and by the way i've worked for several guys like that in the entertainment industry and and no amount of money is worth it working you know is that no matter how big the paycheck is no amount of money is working when that's your day-to-day -day existence and by the way i'm not saying that i was always right and things that i used to recommend or the things that i used to but when i was cfo and I could clearly, objectively look at a situation and say, look, this is the issue and this is a solution. Mm -hmm. And the answer was met with, I mean, the response was, you know, well, I don't care. I'm doing it my way. Um, you know, I left that job. I've clearly remember the day I left that job um, because there was no, there was no self-determination in that job. You could have hired a, you know, you could have hired a robot, or you could have hired a, a stack of boxes to do the job if if they weren't going to listen to the input. So, at the end of the day, in my opinion, having that kind of a job is not. I I, I would never trade working for myself again to go back into any kind of situation where I was working for somebody else and and you know, and by the way, that that position is met with a lot of scoff and you know and and negativity from family and friends were like come on man you're smart you have an mba you just go get a good job and make a lot of money and blah 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 but that's not i'm 57 years old you guys i'm not really i'm that's not my it's not about that so tell me this about that anymore because right? our our perspectives yeah. as in, as in indoctrination into the special needs community by way of diagnosis is different because your daughter, um, Jordan, Joe, is now 25. Elijah is 14. At the time yeah. that Elijah was diagnosed, my foray into financial services was, it's pretty much tied to him. Like, just so happened to work out at the same time. And in the beginning, you know, when you get into, you know, start any business, whether it's utilizing a platform or completely from scratch where you invest all the money and everything, you're working a lot and making a little or nothing and if it's done right over time you will eventually earn a lot and you're working less and so it was most definitely the former not the latter for me at a time where he was receiving um i would take him to therapy in the morning after taking um my uh, stepdaughters to school 
And I take him to therapy in the morning. And then, you know, we did like, a, I was the only dad in a mommy and me class. And then he had therapy, you know, an ABA and feeding therapy and stuff like that at home uh, six days a week. But, and things were like super tight, but I had the freedom to do those things as my wife um, worked the, the typical nine to five hours. And, you know, so I'm not saying that there wasn't a struggle because um, uh, there, there was, but that was a little, you know, different. And then of course, as the years go by, we then uh, became legal guardians to and adopted my sister-in-law's four kids. And through all of that, you're still talking about flexibility in terms of time to deal with some of those struggles. In your case, when um, Jordan's diagnosis came about, you were in the throes of the corporate world. How did you navigate that stuff in terms of therapies and appointments and everything like that? Because while you were doing that, your wife uh, at the time was an attorney, but did she have a practice or was she work, um, or was she um, uh, working at a firm as an employee? Yeah, she was at a firm um, and, and um, you know, certain law firms allow you to, as a, as a, as an attorney, they allow, they allow you to bring in clients and get paid, you know, a little bit more on top of your salary. Um, so there's a little bit of entrepreneurial work there, but I was actually, when Jordan was diagnosed, I had started my, I, I had left, um, I, you know, again, I worked for that large corporation in the entertainment industry. I, I, I don't want to say who it is, but it, it, who shall it rhymes name with Schmime Corner. Um, <laughs> Schmime Corner? Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, I just, I, I almost said Time Warner. That would be, that would be wrong. But I, um, I had, I had left, that was, you know, I had left, I, so here's the crazy thing about that. And I know we're getting to the end of the show. I'll, I'll just wrap this up very quickly. I yeah. was hired, um, I was hired in, 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 in May or June of, of, of 1995 and was charged with doing some consolidation and of, of divisions at the time and ended up by, October of that year, um, putting a layoff for everybody in my division. I was the guy laying off people in my division. I didn't even know that they'd hired me less than six months earlier. And then, and I had, we, my wife at the time, my wife and I just bought a house and she was pregnant and Jordan was born in November of that year. So I was the last man standing and eventually, you know, let go as well. So I was in between gigs in the early days or in between jobs, I would say in the early days, Jordan's, uh, uh, uh early, early uh, process and her prognosis or her diagnosis was I was an independent contractor. So I had some flexibility. So I was doing a lot of stuff with her in, 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 in therapies and whatnot. But, um, but her mom was, you know, was, was a major advocate. I don't know if I answered your question, but I was, I had that flexibility for special needs families. It's difficult when you have a full-time gig and, and you've and you're working for somebody else and you have to be there and be available for therapies and the things that, that you're talking about. It's nearly impossible to do. You almost have to have two, you know, working uh, partners, one who's working full-time job and one that's got a flexible schedule in order to be available. Otherwise it's nearly impossible. And that's why, what we were talking about today is so important for people who are dealing with special needs challenges. And by the way, even if you're not dealing with a special needs challenge, but especially if you're dealing with special needs challenge, you want to have a career path and, a, and something that you're doing where you get to choose your future. You get to control your destiny in the hours and the money they make. Yes, it can be a struggle, but the fulfillment that occurs when you have some success in that is unlike anything that can ever be accomplished in a job. So mm -hmm. very long or quick answer because we're getting to the end of our hour. Um, and so there's so much more that we can talk about this. I, I, I'm, we're going to talk about this as the year um, progresses. And I'm, again, I'm excited that we're doing this. And it's never, it's never at the end of the hour, like, oh, I can't believe it, hour's over. We're just getting rolling. This, um, I think this one is the fastest. But, I, I know yeah. I've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Would, I think every week it goes faster. So, so yeah. let me, I'll, I'll, I'll do my typical sign off and you can do your sign off as well. Thank you for sure. everybody who's listening and, and, and watching. Um, you know, on all of our platforms and now on WSDX radio in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, we're so blessed to be part of that family down there. I'm so excited to be coming down and, and, and visiting hopefully one day soon when the pandemic eases up. But in the meantime, um, I think about my family and the friends and the village that we have created. I'm so honored and blessed to be a part of this conversation with you, Sean, and with our producer partner, Sean Hall, as well. 
Um, and, uh, you know, for me, this is all about empathy and love as we get older. And so please spread empathy and love wherever you can, folks. And so with that, I'm going to say goodbye, Michonne, if you want to wrap us up as we end up. Most definitely, this, this most hour. definitely. Before I get into my um, thanks, I'm just going to give a couple of suggestions off the top of um, my head as people, you know, look at uh, as we are, are swimming into the new year, uh, which is, you know, think about what you're good at. Think about what you provide at home. Think about what you're passionate about as well. And allow that to be one of several things. It can be something that provides income that replaces what you might be, um, you know, making or need to make, or it can be a bridge to whatever that goal or, or goal or dream might be. Um, try not to defer the goal and dream. And we're going to have events that are going to be taking place online as it relates to the work that we do. And whether you know whether someone wants to take advantage of that or there's something else that you're passionate about, the fight is so very worth it. And uh, forgive me, but Brian, our, our next event is, that is the 20th of uh, January, is it not? January. Okay, yeah, so we'll, we'll be sharing more, more information about that. It's gonna be online via Zoom. And uh, with that said, I wanna make sure that I send out a great big thank you and the deepest levels of immeasurable appreciation to the women in my life, to my amazing, amazing uh, wife, uh, Laura, to my mom, Jan. Um, I want to give a thanks to my uh, dad who may, may be listening uh, in the Virgin Islands now, to my family who is down there and listening. A great thank you to Robert Moorhead for your support and um, and your involvement in becoming a part of, of our family. And uh, I appreciate you uh, every day and every way, Brian. And to uh, everyone that's listening, regardless of what format, know that you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on our YouTube channel. You can find us at uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and several outlets as well. And just keep in mind, remember that somebody out there needs to know that you care. Somebody out there needs to know that they matter. Somebody out there um, wants to be heard wants to know that, that they count. That's all that any of us want. I don't care how much money we're making, how much, how little we're making or anything else. And let's continue to look for the things that uh, bring us together and the things that we have in, uh, in common because vulnerability is strength. Love and appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in. Woo! 2021, rock and roll. Thank you. Have a great time, everybody. <laughs>